1958, in addition to the beginning of the second season of Zorro, something else important happened. With a reputation already established as a rebuilder of destroyed football programs, as one who could take what was dilapidated and reconstruct it at the University of Maryland and then at Kentucky and then at Texas A&M, the University of Alabama issued a summons, an invitation to a fellow you may have heard of named Paul Bear Bryant. Come, they said, take over this football program that for the last decade has been in a shambles. Come remake us. And he accepted, and he was asked in those days, and I realize Hutch can tell this story way better than I can. But I'm up here, and he's sitting there right now, so I'll have to tell it. But when asked, why would you leave Texas A&M where things are going so well? You've got this thing humming on all six cylinders. Why would you go back to Alabama where things have been so bleak? And his answer was the stuff of lore. He answered this way, because Mama called. Mama called. And when Mama calls, you've got to come running. Now, I don't know what it says about his mama that he equates her with the University of Alabama. But what he said was simply profound because everybody who heard it could understand. There are certain kinds of loyalties that trump every other kind of loyalty. We know this instinctively, and for a lot of you, the same thing would happen if, if your mom, your dad, or one of your kids, they called you, and you were in the middle of something very important. You were in some, the middle of something you had been planning on, that you had invested resources in, and suddenly they called, you would know Without question, I drop everything. When mama calls, I come. I have to come running. There are certain kinds of summons on our lives. There are certain kinds of invitations or demands that are placed on us that trump everything else. The book of Deuteronomy, which we are going to be hanging out in for the next number of weeks throughout the fall... There's a book about mama calling. Except it's not mama, it's the one who's better than your mama. It's about the great king of the universe who is called like a mother, a people into existence, has breathed them into life, has dependably and ferociously protected them, has carried them through the desert like a father, has said, you are going to be the apple of my eye, my treasured possession out of all the nations on the earth. I am the great king Respond to me. Heed my call. Let your loyalty for me trump all other loyalties that exist in your life. This is a book about allegiance. About renewing your commitments when mama calls. About looking at the things, the good things. The many things that 
stand in the way, make a claim for your loyalty, and begin to root God out. And saying, no, 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 no. But mama's calling. I have to leave those things. I have to give them secondary importance because they cannot be the main thing about me. This is a book about mama calling, and it's a book also about identity. I saw a commercial on television the other day, or I heard it, and it had a very compelling motto. You've probably seen this. I think the company's called LifeLock or something like that. But their tagline was, relentlessly protecting your identity. Relentlessly protecting your identity. And I think, wow, that's a pretty solid motto. It's fervent and powerful. And of course, they're talking about protecting you from cyber theft of your personal information, keeping you from being hijacked on the worldwide interweb. Pirates of various sorts, trying to get your social security number and your credit card number and such. But I think in a way, what Moses is trying to do as this group of people who have wandered around in the desert, they've seen their parents get killed off because of their refusal to heed mama's call. And they're standing and they're about to go into the promised land and Moses is saying, I want you I want to help you to relentlessly protect your identity. Because you're going to forget who you are. You're going to forget who you belong to. You're going to forget what the main thing about you is. And when you do that, you're going to start listening to fear. You're going to start living in a mode of self-protection. You're going to live defensively and you're going to live just to protect yourself. You're not going to respond to God anymore. You're not going to respond to your brothers anymore. You're not going to be the kind of community that you were called to be. You're not going to be the kind of people that you're supposed to be. You're going to be grumblers and complainers and stingy and unloving and unresponsive to mama when she calls. Our denominational pope, Tim Keller, has said, (laughs) channeling Soren Kierkegaard, That sin is when you build an identity on anything other than God. That sin, one of the ways for understanding what sin is like, is when you build your identity on anything, anything other than God. And it's normally good things. And this book is about relentlessly protecting your identity by recalling what your primary allegiance is. By reminding yourself who has summoned you And what He's done for you. This summer, one of the sabbatical exercises we participated in is we watched these videos called Kid History. Has anybody seen these? In the earlier service, no one had seen them and that made it harder. Well, Kid History is this very important set of videos on YouTube. I say with tongue in cheek. These fellows who are now grown, they're brothers, and they recount these stories from their youth. And they're clever fellows, they're funny fellows, and they all have children now. And so what they do is they've told their kids these stories that happened, these inane stories that happened. And then they let their children retell the story. 
and they record the video, the audio of their children, and then they themselves act out the story with their kids' vocals. You understand? You've seen these subway commercials where they're little kids talking, but grown-ups are the ones mouthing. Well, there's this one scene, and I think it's great at thinking about identity where this ridiculous man is dressed like his mother with a funny wig, and he's making some kind of concoction. A dash of salt, lots of love, and lots and lots of tofu. Because she was a woman of frequent health kicks, and so she's mixing up this enticing green concoction and hands it to her children, these people playing her children, grown men. And their responses are typical. Ugh, it's dross. Why is it dross? Which translation, gross. But one little boy says this, Mom, I know that it's green, but what else is about it? I know that it's green, but what else is about it? And I think that is a nice way of thinking about identity. What? Huh? Because when you're relentlessly protecting your identity, what you have to do is you have to stand back sometimes and you have to say, I know that I'm a mom, but what else is about me? I know that I'm an attorney, but what else is about me? I know that I'm a coach, but what else is about me? I know that I'm an athlete or a student, but what else is about me? Because if your family connection or your work or how much you have or what you're able to do, if that is the main thing, if that is the only thing that you're able to live out of, then you're always going to be trying to protect something. And you're going to get cattywampus, to use one of the more important words in the English language. You're going to get turned sideways and discombobulated. Because you're always, like me, like the Israelites, the kind of people who are prone to give away our allegiances quickly, to defect quickly, to take the things that God has given us, the good things that God has given us, and making them the main things in our life, and rooting Him out. And Moses says, this is what's going to happen to you guys when you, when you get here, when you get into this fancy land, and you live a fancy life, you're going to forget God. That's going to be your susceptibility. These things are going to be the main thing about you. And you've got to be a people that says, I know I'm green, but what else is about me? What else characterizes me? And he's trying to remind them that the main thing about you, and we're overhearing a conversation, but we can make the adjustment to ourselves. The main thing about us is that we, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, belong to Jesus Christ. The main thing about these Israelites, is that they were in covenant with the God who had rescued them, with the great king of all the earth. And you see, what's happening in Deuteronomy, it's structured in this way, where one of the ways you can understand it is by thinking about these political treaties that were made in the ancient Near East, where you would have this great king, brawny and powerful, ruler of an important nation, state, and he would offer an alliance. He would be called a suzerain, S-U-Z-E-R-A-I-N, 
to vassals or servants, to lesser kings. Because if you were the, the leader, the, the king of, of Hinkle or Durham or West Brow, and all of a sudden the king of Georgia attacked you, you'd be in trouble. You'd need a strong political alliance. You'd need someone who could protect you and who could defend you. Someone that could help you sleep well at night because you knew that nothing was going to happen to you if this king was on your side. And so what would happen is, these kings and smaller vassals, servants, they would enter into these arrangements. Suzerain vassal treaty. And the way they would be structured is the king would start out by saying, look at what I've done for you. Look at the ways that I've been good to you. Look at the benevolences that you've thrived under. Now, I'll keep doing it, but you've got to return your loyalty to me. You've got to give your love to me. It's a way of saying, Mama's calling. Will you respond? And this book is Moses talking to a group of people who saw their parents die in the desert, who are about to take hold after... 40 years in the desert of this land that God has promised them. And he's saying, Mama's calling. Will you make this covenant? Will you make this treaty? Will you make this alliance with God your own? Will you make it the main thing about you? So that when you think of who am I? Am I primarily a father? Am I just a mother? Am I primarily somebody who makes money? Am I somebody who comes through in the clutch? Or is the main thing about me even though all those other things might be true of you, is the main thing about me that I belong to the great king who has made me his treasured possession. Who who has set his affection on me. Out of all the nations of the earth has said, you are mine. And like a mother has said, I can't not love you. I can't give you up. I will defend you. I will protect you. I will go before you. Will you respond? This book is urging the people who are about to enter into this prized possession of this land that their people have been promised for generations. Will you pony up your lives to the great king? Will you renew your covenant with him? And therefore, will you remember who you are? Relentlessly protecting your identity. And so in these first three chapters, what Moses is doing is he's doing that kind of rehearsal. He's going back through some of their history and reminding them what kind of people they are. And what has been done for them. And it's serving as a warning. It's also serving as something to not slip from their hearts. And he tells them, Guys, you remember that you are someone that God heard when you were in bondage in Egypt. When life was being made miserable for you and you were groaning and crying out in distress and they were trying to wear you out and kill your kids and work your fingers to the bone, I was concerned about you, so I gave you Moses. And he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And you've seen this movie, right? Or heard this story. 
Lots of plagues. Pharaoh's heart's hardened. Finally, he gives up. Get out of here, he says. And the people go, and the Egyptians say, because God has been so mighty, so powerful, they say, plunder us. Here, take our stuff. You're going to need some gold for the journey. And so they give away their things to the Israelites, and they leave, and then they see God do this amazing thing in the desert, and they wipe out all these cool military horses and of Egypt. And it's not long before these people are standing on this, at the foot of this mountain and God is saying to them, if you'll follow me, if you'll respond when mama calls, out of all the nations on the earth, I will make you my prized possession, a kingdom of priests. That'll be the main thing about you. That'll be an identity that you can live boldly out of. Without fear, with confidence, without anxiety. You'll be something because I'm making you something. But you know, like five seconds later, they're like, who are you? What have you done for us? And it's not very long before they're standing on the threshold of this promised land. It's just, you know, it's a couple of weeks after this great deliverance that has happened. And see, that's why Moses is having to warn them here because he's saying, you're the kind of people who are so flighty in your self-understanding and identification, you're going to forget everything. You're the kind of people who are going to be worrying about paying your bills. You're going to be worried, I've got to pay my bills tomorrow, how am I going to do it? And the check comes in the mail for the exact amount you need. And then two days later, you're cussing God to your friends because He don't ever give you nothing. You forget. You forget, you turn away. You say, I love you, I love you, I love you. Who are you? Who are you? And so they're standing on the verge of going into the promised land that God has given them, you know, 38 years ago. And they send a delegation of spies into the land. And these guys check out this land of Canaan that God has promised to their ancestors. And they they come back and they give a report. Woo! It's like they've been to green life. They have... These luscious, organic grapes, succulent pomegranates and figs, no pesticides used at all, and they were free. They didn't have to sell a kid to buy them. And they came, and they said, this place is flipping awesome. But the people there are really tall. And man, oh man, they've been pumping iron. They're huge. And we're like ants and they're anteaters. They're going to suck us up. If we go over there, they're going to squash us like bugs. And, you know, Caleb says, what are you kidding me? We're on God's side. You remember the God who changes people's hearts? The God who's been leading us in a cloud by day and a fire by night? Who goes before us? Who's going to hand them into us? Into our hands? We can take them. But nobody else believed. Because it had been like two weeks since they saw God do all that cool stuff. And so fear. They forgot who they were. They didn't want to listen to Mama calling anymore. Their fear made them start misinterpreting everything. It made them misremember their past. They started saying, we don't know what God is up to So he must not know either. 
If we go over there, they're going to kill our kids. They're going to steal our babies. They're going to take my wife. And Moses is incredulous. Why? What? What? Why are you being afraid? Why are you listening to fear? You must disobey your fear. They won't do it. And see, that's the story of God's people. God saying, this is the way, walk in it. And God's people saying, I hereby elect nervousness and fear as the presidential ticket for my heart. God cannot be trusted. I'm quite sure, despite the fact that in theology, past performance does predict future guarantees. That doesn't happen in the financial world, but it happens with God. He's always urging, look what I've done so you can count on me in the future. God's people, people like us, we don't like to do that. It makes us nervous. We forget who we are. And so we listen to fear. So we obey the fear. And see, these guys, you were unwilling to go up, so you rebelled against the command of the Lord. You grumbled in your tents, and you said, the Lord hates us. The Lord hates us. So He brought us out to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. God hates us. Now, some of you have actually said to your mom or dad before, You don't love me. You hate me. Okay, I want to show hands. No, don't show me your hands. I guarantee there are people in here who have either muttered it under their breath or said it to their parents in a moment of haste and anger, maybe when you were three, maybe when you were 23. You said, you hate me. You don't love me. And you're doing it manipulatively. And you know what it made your parents want to do? Oh, they wanted to reassure you. and No, they wanted to kill you. Why did they want to kill you? It's the only time in the history of the human race that you, out of love, want to kill somebody. Your love can make you want to kill somebody when they so badly misinterpret your love. Are you kidding me? When all I've done is drenched you with things you didn't deserve? When all I've done is sacrificed for you and shown you my might and gone out ahead of you and found places for you to lay your head places for you to sleep, places for you to camp. I've been making provisions for your future, where you're going to live. You had to get more, Moses talks about this, the appointment of leaders. You started out with 70 people in Egypt. I've made you more countless than the stars in the sky. Are you serious? I hate you? I'm going to kill you. (laughs) I love you. What is wrong with you? That's what you would say to your kids if they said it. What is wrong with you? You want to see how much money I spend on you? You want to spend as much time I spend worrying about you? You want to listen to my prayers for you? Don't you dare lie about me like that. And you know what they did? In their fear, they became unwitting allies to the devil. When you start slandering God, when you say things like, He hates us, when you start misinterpreting all His intentions, which we all do, you've joined forces momentarily with the evil one. He's the accuser. He's the insinuator. He started with Adam and Eve. Did God really say? That dude can't be trusted. You can't can't count on him. He's out to do you harm. And see, every single one of us, when we forget who we are, when we don't relentlessly protect our identity and we forget, it's mama calling. 
His word, His call, His summons is bigger and more influential. It's got to be than everything else or everything else is going to get cattywampus in our lives. If we forget that, we'll start listening to fear. We'll start obeying fear. We'll get cold feet. You know, some of you have had this happen. You got married. You're on the verge of getting married or you got married or... And right before it happened, there's this cultural phenomenon that happens in people's lives called cold feet. You ever heard of cold feet? And what happens with cold feet? Some of you live your life with cold feet. When you buy things, it's called buyer's remorse. What you do is, in cold feet, you start having some little doubts pop in. Yeah, he's handsome now, but what's he going to look like in 20 years? Yeah, he's nice now, but... Hair's going to be coming out of strange places. Yeah, she's okay now. But... And you start having these little doubts and these little insinuations. Maybe she's not the one for me. Maybe he's not the one for me. Maybe I shouldn't have bought it. And what you do is you, you lend too much credibility. These little voices of fear. Because you're worried. See, we're, when we, we worry, what's going to happen to us? And especially when we don't remember, when we don't relentlessly protect our identity, when we don't think that we belong to Jesus Christ. That's our only comfort in life and in death. That in body and soul and in life and in death, that we belong to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all our sins, who has rescued us from the tyranny of the devil, who watches over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our head apart from the will of our Father in heaven, who gives us His Spirit and makes us henceforth willing and able to follow Him from now on. If you don't think that the main thing about you is that you belong to Him and He's covering you and He's protecting you and for the sake of your name, He's leading and guiding you and you're united to Him and when He calls, it's not because He wants to hurt you, it's because He wants to heal you. When He calls, it's because He has intentions that you don't know about. If you don't believe any of that, or in the moments when you don't believe that, when I don't believe that, you get to listening to fear. And then you give a disproportionate amount of weight and authority to these voices of fear. And then all of a sudden, doubt and fear are the ruling administration in your inner life. They're controlling everything. You start living defensively. You start living not to get hurt. You start living to protect your own reputation. That sets you up to not be able to sleep at night. To not be able to part with your money. To be constantly worried what people think about you. Because everything depends on you and it's too big a burden to bear. But Moses says, don't be terrified. Don't be afraid of you, the Lord your God who's going before you. This is the same advice that the author of Hebrews gives. And he says... Don't love money, be content with what you have. For the Lord has said, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. So we say with David, the Lord is my helper. Why should I be afraid? What can man do to me? Moses is reminding them. And as we overhear the conversation, he's reminding us. And I think God's intention today is that you say, this is a word for me. When fear comes into my life, I don't have to obey it. Anything that God calls you to do, for most of you, is going to be somewhat scary at first. 
Giving away money is scary. Talking to people about Jesus is scary. Being, being honest when everybody around you is putting pressure on you to not be honest is scary. Using your body the way you want to and not the way God wants you to sexually. Well, there might be consequences you fear. He won't like me anymore. What will happen if I say no? But God says you've got to relentlessly protect your identity. You belong to God, to the God who carries you along. And the moment, the moment you forget who you are and you start obeying fear, here's what's going to happen. All the other parts of your identity... They're going to get, as I said earlier, cattywampus. And you're going to, your kids are going to be way more important to you than God. Or your spouse is going to be way more important to you. Or their, your, your work is going to be way more important to you than God. And see, there's no danger that you're going to love your kids too much. There's no danger that you're going to love your spouse too much. It's impossible to love somebody too much. But it is quite possible to love God way too little in relation to how much you love them. And when you do that, you set yourself up for an explosion of fear. Because if your kids are everything, you're going to be a nervous wreck about those suckers all the time. And if your work is everything or your money is everything, you're going to be a nervous wreck about those suckers all the time. And you know what? See, God isn't demanding loyalty Because he has a problem with the mathematics of people loving other gods. When he got mad at the Israelites for for worshiping other gods, it's not because he it's the math of the thing. No, God's only one. There's not seven or fourteen or twenty-nine. It's that all the other things that you're tempted to give your primary loyalty to, if you do it, they'll demand and they'll demand and they'll demand, and then they will crush. He knows that when mama calls, that when he summons your life, that he actually gives life, that he actually resources you. Yes, you have to give up things, but he gives you himself, best gift of all. But he drives out fear. He gives you rest. And so I'd urge you as we start this series to think today about relentlessly protecting your identity. The main thing about you is that you've been summoned. You are being called into fellowship with the Son of God, who is the King of the universe, who has withheld nothing so that you could be His and says, give me your loyalty back. You won't be disappointed. Disobey your fear and come to me and I'll never drive you away.